0: detective. She'll rap. Sergeant <laughs> Detective. Context safety command. What's up? Co- context
1: safety command. Delay that order. Context safety command. This is the captain. Context safety command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. The Klingons.
0: Klingons. Welcome to the greatest discovery, it's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It's Christmas Eve morning. If if you celebrate it is. this yeah. is how i'm I'm choosing to celebrate <laughs> <laughs> it feels uh, good
2: yeah it's uh, i mean n- nothing better than some new trek to to celebrate
0: you know in a in a normal year. I would be appreciating this moment so much more because it would mean an escape from family.
2: <laughs> yeah, this, you know? is, uh, this, is a, this is a long poop right here.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I've got to go work yeah. at my
2: important job. The <laughs> people would be pissed if I didn't tell them what I thought about this episode of Star Trek.
0: And now it's just any old day.
2: This episode wouldn't have come out on this day if it had been a normal year though right they had to move the release schedule back because of the pandemic
0: you know i was thinking about the way that you said that in a different way like first yes i agree like that they had to move <laughs> they had to move the release map all around the calendar but also i thought having moved it to this if we were no longer in a sort of quarantine i wonder if you know often shows will just take a skip on a holiday because they figure people are going to be out doing stuff but if no one's out doing anything yeah
2: we should probably take a skip on on this week of the year we like why do we need to release 52 entire episodes of everything every year
0: <laughs> i don't know i'll i'll tell you what it is for me i i don't want to break a streak i hate the idea of breaking a streak yeah as as too noted completionist 100% Types, I mean, sometimes we complete too early and that's the problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Great quote for my uh, my lovely wife this morning. I was I I sat down to tuck into um, this episode of Star Trek Discovery and my wife, who does not watch this program with me heard the beginning of the episode from the other room when everybody was toasting to Philippa. Uh-huh. And she she just yells from the other room, who's Philippa? And I, I yell back, Space Hitler. And she yells back, what a bitch.
0: <laughs> hey, Jet Reno, that is basically your sole use on this show <laughs> to say a line of dialogue like that. I know. You fucked up, Jet Reno. Jet Reno, get on it.
2: <laughs> I mean maybe Jet Reno has already if if it's in episodes 12 or 13 Jet Reno has already said it. So
0: Jet Reno like everyone holds up their glasses, Jet Reno holds up hers and then brings it down and she's like Philippa Giorgio, what a bitch. And then she wings it at the <laughs> at the door to the little replicator. Yeah. Breaks the replicator. I Taco Tuesday is canceled. No! And then people are saying that a bit about Jet Reno for ruining Taco Tuesday. Right. What a bitch. Yeah. But they would never say it in her presence because
2: Jet Reno is going to shred them, you know.
0: Well, it's something that this show definitely would have done. They would have drawn an equivalency between Jet Reno destroying a replicator <laughs> and The Crimes of Space Hitler. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> roughly the same yeah
2: (laughs) anyways Jet Reno we love her she'll be missed as will space Hitler
0: (laughs) Uh, a lot of fine people on both sides of the mirror in these two
2: universes Mm -hmm. you can't judge
0: oh but it is our job to judge this episode of Star Trek Discovery that we watched the morning of Christmas Eve uh, like uh, like an early present. Like yeah. This, this Star Trek podcast opens the presents early. <laughs> Do you want to open our present, Adam? Let's get to it. Uh, there still may be time to return it. Uh, it's Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 11. Sukal. Oh, look. They included a uh, one of those gift receipts that
2: doesn't say what the price was.
0: Ben, My wife and I have been fortunate lately to be the recipients of a couple of boxes mm. of, of gifts. And we'll, we'll open the gift, we'll look at the return address, we will see often a gift note inside. Yeah. That says, Nothing. We've gotten we've gotten three boxes from people, and we don't know where they're from. Wow! And the and the and the box says note inside gift personalized gift note inside, and the last one that we opened said like, "Check out the website for more great deals on <laughs> on this thing that you got in this box." Ten percent off your next order. And this is something I've been especially cruel to you about because I think I've done this over the last two weeks I've gotten a gift without a note and then I thought oh this has got to be from Ben this is very thoughtful (laughs) and nice and every time it's not been you Mm -hmm. and every time I do that I'm I'm like, this would drive me crazy. I'm killing Ben with this right now.
2: I was gonna save this question for after we recorded, but uh my wife and I were going to drop off a little something for
0: you and your wife uh this
2: afternoon. Please leave Is a that note. okay? <laughs>
0: I think it would really help if we saw that it was you coming uh-huh. up to the doorstep and dropping it off. I, I would honestly I would put a note on it also just to like just to lock that down. Make sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: I mean, I've seen a lot of things that I wish I had thought to get you. So that's been that's been fun.
0: This is very emblematic of this quality I have that is that is far happier giving a gift than receiving a gift because especially when the gift I've received does not have any sort of identification to it, it drives me crazy. Yeah, I feel like the asshole because someone out there has given me something and and they haven't. received Adam, a, speaking a of thank gifts,
2: you. Gray is back. What a lovely <laughs> gift for Adira
0: stamets looks looks across the uh the commissary and and he's like you know all these people can be your gift <laughs> if you just if you just bother to uh to recognize it right um but but gray's back you got gray the yeah, idea is like cool uh everyone on the ship can be my friend but i actually only want one friend Thanks.
2: I really love Stamets, like the leap of faith that this is not an imaginary friend, that this is really a, a real thing that Adira is experiencing, turning to the blank space in the room and like attempting to make Star Trek first contact.
0: It's a great point. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Stamets is a man of science. Yeah. A man who needs to prove the hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, there is no proof. As he, as he looks off into space, <laughs> it
2: would have been really great if he'd looked off in the wrong direction, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the joke. That should be what happens exactly. <laughs> they got to do that bit. Um, yeah,
2: Gray explains that he went away because um, he didn't really know how to be in this world, didn't know how to relate to a world in which Adira is able to interact with others, but Gray is not. And uh, Adira is like very receptive to this. Like it is basically saying it hurt to not have you and not know why, but I understand what that's about. And I think that this, This feels to me like it is a metaphor for somebody kind of working through identity and how they relate to the world and et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, it sounds like a fucking nightmare to be an ex-trill host. Like, Grey is a prisoner inside of Adira's ankylosaur
0: at this point. (laughs) Give that some voice, Grey. Like, don't just say that. Be be more specific is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, we understand that there's a hardship involved, but... uh, like tell us more
2: like how hard is it is it ripley in alien resurrection <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to find a way
0: to end this right. for me <laughs> right <laughs> like i want to know anyways is that the end goal like god why isn't that ever stated as this is star trek ben like yeah. Does Grey want to turn corporeal? Is that possible? It sure seems like it might be, given that we're in the far future. Right. And Stamets already believes Grey to be real.
2: Or is this like an accidental emergence and Grey would like to go back to being a part of the mixture of life experiences and and not have to live this nightmare of being like a ghost? Also,
0: where did Grey go?
2: Yeah, right where would you go like what's it like for gray is it is gray conscious and aware all the time and and stuck or is it nice and not terrible like maybe maybe there's a way to explain it that it's that it's a a good thing but i just don't know like we just never never get into it
0: that would really make gray's case if if that's what it was if gray's like look adira uh, you are kind of a lot right now, <laughs> right. and when I go away, baby, it's awesome.
2: Yeah, you're <laughs> y- y- like you basically can't die and pass your your trill your ankylosaur on soon enough because what we got back here in the back is fucking <laughs> incredible. <laughs>
0: If I could make a recommendation, uh, maybe you should stand a little closer to Windows (laughs) and just see what
2: happens. (laughs) You should ask the crew of the Discovery if they could, like, drop you from orbit onto the Trill (laughs) homeworld. That would be great for both
0: of us, actually. We're testing out the space elevator for the first time. (laughs) So Stamets gets a uh, gets a woo woo on his uh, on his communicator. It's the computer that is pinging him, saying, "We've got a life sign on the ship inside the nebula."
2: Yeah, you called this, Adam. You you totally predicted that there was going to be somebody alive on that
0: ship. I think my explanation was, "This is Star Trek. They will find a way." <laughs>
2: life always uh finds a way in star trek and
0: saru's like yeah that that makes sense to me because that lady we saw in the hollow was pregnant you know the the one with the freckles Mm -hmm. on the forehead she was glowing adam uh (laughs) her breasts has had become uh pendulous (laughs) and and full of seaweed as our (laughs) as our children drink Uh,
2: so finally we get the disco jumping straight to the nebula and uh, this is the the sense of urgency that we have been missing this entire season
0: it's absolutely bracing because we don't scan the nebula for you know like sometimes when you're a starship and there's a cloud of things in front of you you want to like chart a course to avoid the things that are going to damage your ship no man we we plow headlong into this thing, and it is bangers aplenty. This nebula makes the
2: mutara nebula seem like a really chill place to hang out
0: this nebula makes the mutara nebula look like the paulson nebula wow
2: <laughs> sick burn
0: <laughs> i think uh I've, if anyone's keeping score i think that was the nerdiest thing i've ever said on the show yeah yeah <laughs> I mean that might be the nerdiest thing that has ever been said on
2: a Star Trek podcast, Adam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. We
2: set the bar high here on the greatest discovery. Um I might I might uh, I might make it nerdier though as I take a run at this. The uh He's doing it. They send they send books ship because it's a lot more maneuverable and it's not getting buffeted by the radiation winds and mm-hmm. he uh he finds the planet that the that the ship in question has crash landed on. It's a planet made of dilithium. It's a dilithium as big as the Ritz by F Scott Fitzgerald.
0: There was so much going on in that joke like I was, wa- I was being led down the path yeah, no. of the setup and I didn't look down at my feet and I should have because I actually started tripping yeah. over- The path did not lead where you thought it was. <laughs> the long walk to nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a really great looking planet. It's a planet that looks like the head of that uh, guy on Lower Decks mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the ship of the- of the
2: broken toys you know a lot of blown apart planets in this in this future uh, yeah they so so book basically like good gets in and then has to let his ship autopilot his way out because he's getting irradiated so badly like he is he's got like i'm about to die spot of blood coming out of his nose level radiation poisoning yeah you don't like that spot but he makes it back they uh they put him in the DNA recombinator and crucially Adam, they put Grudge the Cat in a different DNA recombinator. They didn't combine Book with his cat. Have you ever heard of insect politics?
0: Dr. Pollard seems like nicer than she should be in this moment. Yeah. She does the space miracle of fixing book and his radiation damage, and then they hand her a cat and is like, hey, can you do the same thing to this? <laughs> She's not a vet. Yeah. Like, it takes special training to do what she does. Don't make those assumptions. Her name is
1: Dr. Tana.
0: I kinda like
2: the idea though that she would be as good with a cat as anyone, though, because she has to treat so many different species. Yeah. Like there must yeah, that's be. True. Like, the way you train a doctor that that works on a ship like this
0: has got to be pretty wild. How talented can she be if she can't fix Linus, though? <laughs> Linus, perpetually broken. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, th- I did like that one part of this episode where Linus accidentally transports himself into the Veruban Nebula, never to be seen again.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was cut for time. Yeah. But um, I think that was a good... That was a good choice by the show. <laughs> Nevertheless, canonical.
2: So they report this back to, uh, to the Admiral, and uh, the Admiral's like, Planet of Dilithium? Great! Get it! Bring it home!
0: I think it's interesting that Admiral, her friend your mom told your dad not to worry about, is, <laughs> like does not have a problem with Saru going on the away team as captain. I thought for sure he was going to throw the book at him for that.
2: That's definitely, there's definitely a pregnancy in that moment, right? Like, yeah. Saru is nervous to tell the Admiral, and I guess this is at the Admiral trying to be cool Admiral by not raising it as a
0: an issue. He is sitting in that backwards-turned-chair during, during their conversation, so that checks out. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, boy, oh boy, I'm really glad to get this good news because... Uh, The war is going far worse than is generally known, Saru. And Saru's like, I'll stop you right there. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Uh,
2: Osiris trying to bait Disco by messing with Kaminar specifically. Uh, This is a tactic that she's used before.
1: Remember what Osiris did to draw a book out?
2: Saru is, is interested in jumping straight to Kaminar, like, fuck this... I would have I would have thrown my laptop through a window if they, if they jumped away from the Veruben Nebula at this moment like yeah. what but uh it seemed as too risky like basically don't fall into the trap that is being laid for you so uh so they stay there and uh, they come up with a plan uh to to go in they have like a kind of a map of where to go and I guess they can therefore jump right to the spot uh, based on Book's trip. And, uh, and that's what they're going to do. So we get kind of a long series of goodbye scenes before the away team goes. And the first is Culber telling uh, Stamets that uh, that he's going to be on the away team. And Stamets taking great umbrage with this.
0: I think I'm going to say it right now. RSVP Stamets... Uh, who they have murdered on this show? Uh, they've they've turned him into a bitchy house husband uh, who has completely lost all of his professionalism. What and, the
2: fuck? And also just like lost his character. I feel like they they yeah. wrote a different guy this season. Yeah. And yeah, I think so too. I keep waiting for season one and two. Stamets two appear in a scene.
0: I really liked not liking that guy. Like it's okay yeah. to to have that sort of character on the show.
2: There's things I like about this, but I I wish it had felt more justified. I wish they had written him toward it instead of just kind of like stopping writing mm-hmm. him one way and starting writing him another way. Yeah. Um I feel like Hugh Culber is now a character that I understand so much more. I mean, Culber was a character with way less screen time in the last two seasons but now is starting to talk about like this new purpose he sees for himself as caring for lost souls like being Mm -hmm. able to move through the universe and and do good by helping others that are going through a thing like what he went through in the mycelial network and i understand that as a trajectory in a way that stamets just seems like a well i don't really. Like, I guess you're just the guy that puts his hand in the goo sometimes and is super nice to everyone the rest of the time
0: now. He seems like the reactive character, while Culber's more proactive about his story. Yeah. I think you're right. You can't go, Hugh. Stamets in this scene gestures toward Adira in a what-about-our-family kind of way. And this is a moment that... I think would have hit a lot harder too if they wrote themselves up to this pronouncement right. versus declaring it in this moment because we're given we've been given a handful of vignettes that show how much they care for Adira and how much Adira cares for them but I don't recall many scenes that rise to the level of what Stamets is describing here, like like closer than coworker, closer than friendship, like we have to take care of Adira is something else. Right, w- like, I mean, Adira is a minor. Maybe if they'd made the case
2: that uh, Adira is like staying with Stamets and Culber and they like spoke up f- for them and said, we'll look after them while they're aboard the ship, Kind of a thing.
0: Poor Adira lives and sleeps in the music room of, of Discovery. <laughs> Adira needs their own quarters.
2: Adira climbs inside the piano and shuts the lid. And <laughs> uh. <laughs> We get another scene with Michael Burnham and Tilly, who is going to be left in command of the disco while the away team is gone. And this is going to be Tilly's first time in the big chair. And she's really nervous about this. And Michael Burnham tells her kind of a little like captain's chair secret that uh, was true of the captain's chair on the Shenzhou and is true of the captain's chair on the disco, which is that the the factory that makes this chair uh, has some kind of uh, construction flaw that yields chairs that have this this metal burr. Under one of the handrails and Michael Burnham describes it as the first time when she got into the captain's chair on the Shenzhou, she felt for the burr and found that Captain Giorgio had rubbed it, had, (laughs) had rubbed it totally bare like she'd she'd touched this little spot on the chair to the point where it, it like rubbed it entirely away and I feel like if she is capable of flicking a duranium burr like this until it's totally smooth her masturbatory routine must have been very vigorous <laughs> I, I
0: believe you've I believe you've called it before a baroque kind of onanism <laughs> <laughs>
2: Tilly, if you're nervous while you're captaining, you just got to remember, flick the metal bean.
0: I mean, cute story, right? But I can imagine what it was like to come up with this little piece of trivia and how satisfying it might have been to do so. However, (laughs) what a story like this does is raises all kinds of terrible questions, beginning with... (laughs) If a production facility is allowing their work to leave the factory with blemishes as large as the one that we see later. Yeah. Like I used to work in a production environment that made airplanes and like a burr around wiring is specifically a thing that you can't have. Yeah. Because people die. Where, where burrs are around wires. And you would think that the tolerances on
2: a Starship would be, if you can imagine it, even higher than those <laughs> on a commercial airliner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you'd hope, you'd really hope. Yeah, a lot of questions here. Disco drops in to the pin on the map that Book Ship dropped next to the planet. And here's the timeline. They've got a four-hour limit for radiation exposure, and the task takes three hours to do. The, the task of repairing their shields. That doesn't leave a big window, but it leaves us
2: enough time to get an episode of Star Trek out of this. Uh, it, their window is
0: Star Trek-sized, for sure. <laughs>
2: uh, they land on the planet looking quite different from the way they, uh, they beamed down. Uh, Culber is wearing a uh, Culber is wearing a sleeping bag. Michael Burnham is dressed as little Red, Red Riding Hood Trill edition.
0: Yeah I don't remember them going jacket shopping and that's the no. initial confusion before you see that that their appearances have changed. I liked uh, I like that they gave Doug
2: Jones a little break this episode.
0: Yeah yeah that had to feel good acting yeah. with his real face yeah you know sometimes the hardest role to play is yourself Ben. Mm.
2: Do you think he was pissed when he like, like he got to this part of the script and he's like, awesome. And then he got like 15 pages later in the script and he's like, damn it, they're going to start putting radiation burns on me. It's back in the
0: makeup chair. He shows up to set like out of habit six hours before anyone else. Yeah. And no one's there. What are you doing here? (laughs) No one's there besides the uh, the gate guard. Yeah. (laughs) Alright, we don't have anything
2: for you. We didn't even put out breakfast.
0: They learn fairly quickly that they're interacting with a hollow program.
2: Yeah, it's like a training program for, for some reason. It feels very haunted. It's like a snowy forest at night, and there's a like real haunted house vibes. There's gormaganders flying around in the atmosphere.
0: That <laughs> that part made me laugh out loud. They're like. They're entering the step well, and Culber's like, whoa, look at that door, while literal dragons are flying overhead <laughs> that no one points out.
2: <laughs> I would have loved to see them just just address it. But, yeah. Uh...
0: <laughs> I mean, no one has to say anything, but a glance, I think, would be worth it. Mm-hmm.
2: Just some acknowledgement. <laughs> Remember that time we uh, fought one over and over again in that time loop? Yeah. Yeah. They meet the survivor and the survivor is a kelpian and uh he seems to be very scared of certain parts of his nightmarish existence.
0: And whatever it is behind that door is not happy that they're having this conversation.
2: No, like the axe handle that was uh threaded through the door handles to keep it shut fails and the door flies open. There's nothing on the other side of it, but the survivor runs off in terror. And Michael Burnham is like, hey, this place seems haunted and really dangerous. What do you say we split up?
0: This episode looks great. The effects are amazing. It feels very uh, Guillermo del Toro-esque.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: in In its vibe, like it's a very pans labyrinthian situation.
2: Yeah, Doug Jones is right at home here.
0: Yeah, I think all of this is specifically done to make you, the viewer, ignore the fact that you figured it out right here and now. Like, right here and now we know that this kid has been raised and reared by a holo program and that's gonna be a problem that they need to solve. But this is an episode that does not assume that you know that and instead proceeds down the path of solving this quote unquote mystery until finally telling you all of that twenty minutes from now. Like it's an epiphany.
2: It basically has the same plot as the Future Imperfect episode of TNG. It's almost beyond belief. I wondered watching it like if you had not seen Future Imperfect, if you were a new Star Trek viewer, if Disco was your first trek, mm. would would you have connected all these dots at this point or not? And I just I I can't say.
0: Yeah. I mean we were little kids when we saw that episode the first time. We were idiots. Yeah. Not like the the smart adult men we are today.
2: <laughs> yeah. But this is a show with swears, so little kids aren't watching it. Yeah. I like I I didn't mind going on the on the journey with them, I will say, but I I did kind of wonder why they kept circling back to like explaining what was going on. Uh, yeah further into the episode because i was like we get it like I, i i'm happy to watch these characters wrap their minds around it but i don't need it to be like expository dialogue that also explains it to me
1: i think we may have just found the source of the burn
0: yeah i think that's the diff
2: they split up saru and culber are gonna go after the survivor and michael burnham is gonna see what gives with the monster behind the door and uh her first step apparently is not to close the door and try and barricade it again
0: yeah no (laughs) Uh,
2: but up in space uh, on the disco they they get on sensors that there is a federation ship approaching they have a pretty funny reaction to this everybody's like ew federation out here why (laughs) ugh (laughs) In this neck of the woods? What are they doing here? <laughs> this is our part of space. <laughs> I mean, isn't there something going on on Kaminar that they could bother themselves with? There's not even any M-class planets nearby. What are they doing?
0: Yeah, it's, it's fairly quickly revealed to be Osiris' ship. Yeah. This is a significant moment because it's, it's early on until he gets one right. Right. I mean, I think
2: that I think this episode does a great job with showing Tilly kind of like experiencing the momentousness of this for herself. And then also experiencing like what, like how heavy lies the crown, like how, how much of a drag it can be to have this amount of responsibility is something that Tilly learns super duper quickly in this episode.
0: This moment also is not captain on hard mode. Like we know this from many Star Trek episodes and films that uh, when a Federation ship approaches uh, without comms, you treat it as a possible threat. So like mm-hmm. this is in the book on one of the first pages. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, if Savik knows it, you know that Tilly knows it.
0: Right. Tilly's no Kirk. She's keeping her pants on.
2: Yeah, but like unlike Kirk, Tilly doesn't actually have the option of raising shields because that's the main thing that they are yeah. trying to fix right now. So, it's a bit of a bit of a puzzle there. In the sim, Saru and Culber come across some federation uniforms standing in a group and it, they're kind of reenacting the day that the uh that kaminar entered the federation and uh the admiral that is running these festivities is a vulcan who is pretty glitched out but is the first kind of like like person that is representing the computer system running the simulation that they get to talk to right and I, I like that they sort of tiptoe up to making the computer turn on them, but manage to avoid tripping that function.
0: I like this moment of how when presented with new information, the Hollow program kind of changes course a little bit yeah. and treats their arrival as something, something to fix or figure out. This is a... Good scene for the hollow program but another bad scene for Saru because he's incapable of using the context clues given to him by the hollow people to answer his own questions this is the the double payoff of the moment earlier what we're seeing here is hundred and twenty five years of hollow program child rearing yeah. it's a real raised by wolves situation that uh, this kid <laughs> has gone through since their appearances are being kind of projected onto them by the,
2: the program, I wondered if Culber could take off his Mr. T amount of Bajoran earrings, or if that's like stuck on him, you know?
0: That's a good question. Does, uh, does Culber now have, uh, have a real hate on for pizza <laughs> and their ovens? Yeah.
2: So I have a theory that i uh maybe going to float well I floated now cuz this scene directly abuts the one where we meet the kelp monster and uh speaking of things that look great in this episode this monster is really unique and interesting looking and really scary yeah and i was wondering about like Saru specifically with what he looks like because he's like he mentions like my heels are touching the ground i don't get it mm-hmm. and that means, like, his body has physically changed. It's not just that he has different loaf on. It's that, like, the the way he's moving around is different. Yeah. And, like, he's feeling different shit, right? Like, when they get to the top of the tower and he looks down, he gets a sensation of fear of heights that he is unfamiliar with. Right. And I, I'm wondering if Kelp Monster is the real survivor. <sighs> because Kelp Monster, like, says see me when when it runs into sukal later
0: this is going to be one of those fucking star trek episodes or series of episodes where you just don't understand the monster's pathos man <laughs> he's the real victim
2: well i'm wondering maybe cuz also like some thought is given to the idea that the survivor of the crash changed a lot because of radiation exposure and so maybe this is like what actually what sukal actually looks like and the one in the computer is a representation or something i don't know it's kind of an imperfect theory because sukal hey
0: can i write in your margins a little bit oh sure because we see that book later the the book that the old kelpian the old dusty kelpian gives saru And, yeah. it, and it shows that, that image of, of both a Kelpian and Kelp monster side by side with the totem in the middle.
2: Yeah. I was too distracted. I was just wondering if if Saru shaves Yeah. to gather anything else that happened in this scene. God,
0: that's, that has to be a nightmare, getting, getting around those gills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like trying not to trigger a spike. Mm. Oh, yeah. So we've got that image. And there's a symmetry to that image, Ben. I'm holding up my hands to the camera. What Mm -hmm. if, what if they're both the same? Wow. The same character. Two
2: sides of one coin.
0: The holographic program is projecting these these two sides of one character.
2: Wow. I really like your film paper slash pop psychology.
0: Maybe the mission is to combine them.
2: Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh we'll see we'll see what happens in the exciting conclusion next week, but uh in the meantime, Osira comes out of warp. Um she is uh described as not in her right mind given the method of transportation here because she took a trans warp tunnel, which I guess is a very dangerous way to go. And Tilly is, is now under a ton of pressure because Osira has declared her interest in seizing the ship and the crew. And so they have to go to cloak and just kind of like hide from Osiris ship.
0: We learn a bit of trivia in this moment and, and that's, they can't jump while they're cloaked. I think this might've been referred to before, but yeah. uh, it it sort of anchors them in this situation in a useful way.
2: Yeah. It's definitely, it definitely felt like the kind of mechanic you write into a show like this. Uh, like you can't beam through a shield Mm -hmm. like smart Star Trek writing to to come up with something like that.
0: Like whatever the inverse of the uh, of the deus ex machina, like you need to create the thing that is the impediment. Right. Artificially instead of the solution.
2: Michael Burnham um, wakes up after getting terrorized by kelp monster and is in the presence of Sukal, the survivor and... Um, I don't think she knows his name yet, but she starts to pretend to be a part of the simulation.
1: Don't you think that society could do with a few more <melodic noise>
2: Designed to teach him how to interact with other sentient beings.
0: This moment, I thought, was another opportunity for Sonequa Martin-Green to flex her comedy chops because she turns into Badgie. She's like, hey, it looks like you're trying to have an interaction with an away team. She like puts her arms into like, into like badge configuration. Seems like you're a little bit of a
2: shut in. Let's help you figure that out. I know you've been trapped in here for 125 years and had a lot of computer records to learn
0: from, but you're incredibly naive. Hey, it looks like you're asking about how to make your eyes less sloth from Goonies-like. I brought a doctor with me. I think you can help.
2: <laughs> all of this is to say, like, what what we learn is that this guy, like, he's got the mind of a child because, like, all he has is this kind of, like, a very elaborate computer program, but inherently limited because it's not reality. And... He's kind of just been stuck in it forever. And so he has that the people in Plato's cave disease of not believing that there's an outside world.
0: Do you think there's something missing from him that goes like what what Spock had on the Genesis planet when he was going through Pondfire? The thing about Spock that you and I really enjoyed was how strong he was. Yeah. Like he could like wing people around. There's the threat presented to us of the radiation and of the of the monster. Yeah. But it's interesting how little threat the Scalpion presents to them.
2: Right. We like we last episode we saw Saru throw a guy against the ceiling.
0: Yeah. So
2: so presumably he is brutally strong. Yeah. The monster doesn't seem to be an attacky monster. It seems to be much more of a like a spooky haunty monster.
0: Yeah, a get off of me monster. Right. Not a stop stabbing me monster. <laughs> <laughs> if we're ranking them, I think I'd I'd rather be confronted with the get off of me monster.
2: Yeah. You're not wrong.
0: So as these lessons continue between the Kelpian survivor and Michael Burnham, Saru and Culber go snooping and they find this hollow of the old man that you and I were talking about before and they yeah. find a family decal that you... See on a, on a rear window of a minivan that he's drawn, and it's in this <laughs> it's in this glyph that they discover uh, this kid's name, and this kid's name is title of episode. Eponymous. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the the trivia is that this this is a term used uh, for a child born from a tragedy, right? Right.
2: If uh, if you have a kid after something terrible happens to your family, like you're born Kelpian on Kaminar uh yeah. you name you name your kid so Su- so Su- call and that's like a a blessing to to you know defy the the tragedies of the past and affirm a positive future
0: in my family that name was adam <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and it didn't work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no it did not
2: um, they also realize that the cairns that they've been seeing everywhere are meant to sort of mimic the shape of the all-seeing eye that we saw in Kaminar, that the Ba'ul used to keep an eye on the Kelpians, um, and it's but supposed, supposed to sort of like ward off evil.
0: Yeah, that was a neat detail.
2: I like that a lot. They um they catch up with Michael Burnham uh in the in the tower later. Like they they're told by this kelpian old that they uh that the fortress is where is where you go to find sukal when he's scared and that means like going across a pit on like floating platforms like they're in a super mario level (laughs) they have to jump over uh over those bullet guys
0: well culber's super smart because he does that thing where he gets into the water and swims beneath the the platforms to avoid oh, yeah. all of those bullets.
2: <laughs> that way you only have to avoid some of those fish guys. Right. They're able to be heard on disco briefly, but it is not... Uh, it's another, like, they get cut off before the important information yeah. uh, makes it out.
0: We get a couple of scenes where people are listening in on the mission uh, Stamets gets a gets a moment to do that fairly early on in the episode, and it made me wonder why they don't do that more often because it really presents a high amount of stress uh, for for a very low price. You know what I mean? Yeah.
2: I mean, I feel like this is an episode. I mean, it's kind of a long episode, right? It's I think it's like fifty five minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Ten pounds of episode in a five pound bag. Like I I don't know why they have different numbers of episodes every season of disco but if this could have been a 15 episode season and some of this could have got, been gone into in more detail i'm i'm the kind of star trek fan that likes the detail i like the world yeah. building yeah i do too and and i like the idea of using the patchy comms as a as a way to build tension over a longer slower episode
0: I mean, the stress is starting to build because not only are they hearing what's happening on the planet, the the away team's looking down at their hands and starting to see radiation burns form. Yeah, they and we can tell that time is beginning to run out.
2: They've uh, they've been making soap and not wearing the special gloves that you use to keep
0: lye off your hands. Right. Right, and there was that scene that where Culber kissed Michael Burnham's hand to prove a point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: and then they they found out that Culber and Michael Burnham were the same person the yeah. entire time, and you cut back to that scene, and it's just Michael Burnham holding her hand. Yeah, that's kind of the film paper that we were we were writing about Sukal and the Kelp Monster, right? Yeah, the first rule of the Kiev is you do not talk about the Kiev. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it uh, it occurs to me, Ben, that the away team is feeling the burn. Only it's a different mm. kind of burn, huh? Mm.
2: <laughs> sick burn. Yeah. Hey, speaking of sick burns, Osira gets on the FaceTime with Tilly, and just immediately launches into undercutting Tilly, going right to her insecurities and trying to trying to make her. Trying to, you know, put her back on her heel and not feel confident as a captain. Uh, I thought Tilly did a great job of kicking shit right back
0: at Osira. You tell me I'm a fraud because deep down inside, you kind of feel like a fraud. I thought this was a great scene for Janet Kidder as Osira. I think this is the most that I've liked her this season. And it was for this moment. This is a bad guy in full control. And, yeah. is, and is taking the time to wing it around a little bit in a mean girl kind of way. It's part of why I don't necessarily trust the confidence that Tilly has in this moment because I think she's able to repel the put downs of an Osiris in this scene, and I think the bridge crew kind of like looks it around at each other and appreciates that she's putting up a fight. But this is like school playground shit. Like this, yeah. this, this has no stakes, and if Tilly thinks she's won anything here. Uh she's she's in for some hurt.
2: She also needs to have the crew feel confident in her. And so Yeah, she's doing it for them. Yeah. Like I like I think it's such an interesting tactic that Osiren uses because she Osir doesn't know shit about Disco, as far as we know. Like they've interacted with her once, but she she knows exactly like where to stab at Tilly to potentially make the Disco less effective in combat. And, and it's it's both kill Tilly's self-esteem and also compromise the esteem that the crew may hold for her.
0: Tilly is really flicking the burr right now uh, in a way that's effective in getting Osira off her back.
2: But down on the planet, the kilt monster comes upon... Sukal and Sukal has a has a freak out that causes like this energy pulse that comes up out of the out of the planet, out of the nebula and knocks the cloak off of both ships.
0: Sukal does a Skyrim dragon shout. (laughs) (laughs) And it is a banger. It sure is. It uh,
2: it is another the burn. It seems like A, a baby burn
0: if oh, you yeah. will. And Just a uh, little guy. You know what this burn is called? It's called Grogu. Mm. Grogu. Grogu.
2: And it's not the same as as the original burn. It's a different, it's it, this is later in the storyline.
0: You know, people feel an affinity for this burn thinking that it's the same thing, but it's not. It's not. You could be
2: forgiven for making that mistake. Like I hope I am. <laughs> My favorite ongoing Twitter troll is is doing jokes about Baby Yoda being actually Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I do a tweet about that, somebody fucking c- corrects me. Yeah. It, actually, it's not. <laughs> it's reliably always there for you. Yeah, like it, it, uh, I get the <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a rat hitting a lever to get a pellet and I yeah. get the pellet every time. It's big fun.
0: This has done a useful thing at, in, in that it's kind of leveled the playing field for the moment, right? Both ships are uncloaked. Both ships mm-hmm. may or may not be damaged by this. Uh, but it's, it's escalated the tension because with Disco out in the open, they've got to make a decision about either jumping away or rescuing the away team. And uh, we know what Stamets would vote. He does not <laughs> want to get into the sp- into the spore box. Yeah. Uh, but he does so anyway.
2: And Tilly says to Osaira, like, I am willing to explode this ship. Like, before before I let it fall into your hands, she's uh, holding a gun to Disco's head. But Osaira has kind of solved the puzzle. She's like, there's something in that nebula that you don't want me to see. And I think that's probably where your captain is also. And... Osiris deploys her ship, the USS Hentai, and reaches its nasty dick-ended tentacles out and seizes
0: Discovery.
1: Ugh.
2: Gross. People jack off to
0: this? Ugh. Once Osiris' ship robot claws capture Disco, (laughs) it can't break free because they're made of metal and Osiris' robot claws are strong.
1: I don't even know why the scientists make them.
2: So, Book has has taken his ship back into the nebula. Adira has stowed away aboard by borrowing Jet Reno's com badge, and he is able to rescue Michael Burnham, who makes it to the rendezvous point. But Saru and Culber are going to stay behind, and Adira beams himself down with some. Uh, anti-radiation medicine to which presumably is going to extend the timeline and I I wondered if there was a scene order thing that happened here or like some kind of reshoot because we were told at the beginning of this episode that it was a four hour window but before Michael Burnham beams up Culber says if you don't come back within 24 hours don't bother coming back because we're going to be dead but then adira beams down with the radiation meds and i just i was like what the fuck is going on like is it four hours or 24 hours like why why do they suddenly have an entire extra day and it would make sense if like in the original as shot version of the script adira had like let them know they were on their way with radiation
0: meds is this just about taking more medicine is this about taking a new medicine that adira has has invented on the spot right you're you're totally right it's very squishy here
2: i like the detail of adira putting the meds in their mouth before beaming down presumably to like preserve the meds through the holographic transformation process
0: Ooh, i didn't put that together
2: because they like they lost all of the yeah. all of the away team gear that they had, but I wonder what kind of alien Adira is going to be. Oh,
0: that'll be a fun reveal. Adira is a an Orion. <laughs> Adira appears as Gray. Like what the <laughs> what? fuck? This is. <laughs> I am already going through some things right now with Gray. This is not helping.
2: The Emerald Chain seizes Discovery. They beam all of their motorcycle bad guys aboard the there's a couple of them in the spork box with stamets and they put like an snm clip show device on his head which blanks out his eyes and uh, Osira takes over the captain's chair and you wonder if Osira will be able to find the bean (laughs) you know because i feel like the disco is not going to really respond in the same way if you can't find the little
0: bean (laughs) i don't want to make any assumptions uh, but I think I think Osiris has found the bean before. Yeah. I think she could find the bean again.
2: All right. And have a bit of a reputation in that department, don't they?
0: They've, yeah. I mean, they have an appetite for the bean that's legendary. <laughs> 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 they
2: love that bean. Yeah. The button on the episode is Book and Michael Burnham coming out of the nebula on his ship and seeing the USS Hentai and the Disco jump away. They're too late.
0: It's a horrifying scene, and they didn't even get to see inside. Like, they didn't see the boarding party take control of Stamets and put the the Geordie crown on them. They didn't see the boarding party beam onto the bridge and take it over and yeah. rip Tilly out of the chair. Like, they didn't see so much, and yet from the exterior, it's just as shocking a sight. Like, oof, that's a yeah. bad
2: look. It's uh it's terrifying. The
0: camera cuts over to Michael Burnham and she's like, Tilly, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Maybe I should have spent less time talking about the bean and more time about talking about like command presence and defending yeah. <laughs> the ship at all costs and stuff like that.
0: Here are a couple of tips about how to set the self destruct system very quickly.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there should have been a dead man switch talk instead of a bean talk. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam?
0: This is hard for me to say because. I think one of the things that I've written for, throughout our time making greatest gen programming, was was that that top line thesis. The thesis of Star Trek is a place. Star Trek is a is a place to tell stories. Yeah. And when my main criticism of an episode like this is, why did they do Pan's Labyrinth in a Star Trek episode? <laughs> <laughs> it. Cuts against my thesis. It cuts against it in a way that makes me start to waver in my belief of it. Yeah. And in defense of Star Trek as a place, I think an episode like this is more a general lack of imagination problem than it is a specific, what if we do a movie... That we like inside of a television show episode and see how that plays like once again this giant problem is one person's fault and those odds seem pretty beatable when we've got a michael burnham uh, put right next to that person you know Mm -hmm. like this is this is the refrain of the problems and their solutions on this show and this episode has a lot of good things going for it i think it is not the performance's fault. I think the actors are acting their asses off in an episode like this. But, I, but when I hear the words coming out of their mouths at the time that they're saying them, I'm like, oh, oh, poor Wilson Cruz. Like he's, <laughs> he, he's, he's better than this. He's better than the material. And, and I, think, I think the actors are better than the material in an episode like this. Yeah. I, I did not like this episode. I kind
2: of did like it. I mean, I think that Star Trek as a place is, a, is a, a thesis that has to accommodate the fact that sometimes they try to tell a story in, a, in Star Trek as a place that doesn't work that well. Every Star Trek series is riddled with examples of that. Yeah. This episode reminded me a lot of the Royale in addition to Future Imperfect from TNG. And I think that there's some lumpy, bumpy stuff about it. Uh, I was very excited by this episode, and I and I wanted I wanted more. And I feel like some of the problems with it are that the pace feels like it's being imposed externally. Like you have to write stories at this pace for modern television audiences is something that you know could be coming from. The executives or, you know, somebody else, I don't know, but like, or maybe that's just how the writers want to write it. But I, I feel like the problem I've always had with Discovery is that it moves too fast. It doesn't ever let a scene breathe. It doesn't ever let a big idea take form in your head before it runs past it. I feel like they sometimes lose confidence in, in the ability of the audience to just ruminate on a big idea. So I kind of think that's what you're responding to partially. And I also kind of feel like this episode felt a bit scrambled. Like there may have been some big changes made to it after they shot it originally or something. And I don't, you know, it's impossible to know what those changes were given that we just know about this, but, um, but it, it, it made me wonder. And, um, I don't know. Yeah, like I, I guess I, I guess ultimately I have kind of mixed feelings. But um, there was so much amazing about this. It, it felt like what if Future Imperfect had a modern television budget and special yeah. effects work and the special effects work the, the execution of of this script, it is at the highest level. I think that the script itself is where all the problems are, and the acting and the staging and the set design and the you know the cg stuff are all incredible
0: it's such an interesting version of star trek to think that for so many years the liability was the effects work and the right. story and the performance and stuff was all was all first rate and now it feels like it's it's the effects work has never been better the, uh, the performance is also awesome and it's the story that's the liability.
2: Yeah. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how they resolve this storyline. I wonder if this is a three episode art toward the end or what.
0: I wonder if what you're describing is aiding me in what I'm feeling because when you're describing like the pace of story going so fast, one of the things that I'm growing to resent is the Quickness with which a solution to a problem is given almost immediately after someone realizes they need that solution, yeah. or or a problem is presented itself. Like nothing has ever been more transparent on this episode than Saru being sung a lullaby that he needs to use later on the kid. Like, <laughs> and 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 part of it is that those two scenes happened within ten minutes. Right you put it in a way that's much better than, than how I could, but you give a viewer an opportunity by giving them a moment to breathe and think, to experience the joy of coming up with a solution at the same time as the characters they like in a way that feels very good, yeah. that you are deprived of in a story at this pace, told this way, because you've never gotten that moment to think or puzzle through. It's just bang, bang, problem, solution, And it just feels a little rote, you know? Save that lullaby for
2: the next episode where Adira's gonna be down there. We'll get them set up with a cello and Saru can sing it with accompaniment, you know? We know that Adira knows the the lullaby.
0: This show takes such massive swings on like that emotional epiphany ball, you know? It fucking loves smashing that thing. And, (laughs) And in episodes like this, it kind of devalues that that same currency by trading it like they do. Well, Adam,
2: one currency that is always valuable is the currency of Priority One Messages. Do you want to see if
0: we have anything in the inbox? Uh, those will always spend around here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Priority One Message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
0: Ben, we have a Priority One Message here of a personal nature. It's from Derek. It's to Ben and Adam. The message goes okay. like this. Being a Gen X Trekkie in today's world can feel like being trapped between dimensions. <laughs> oh no. Considering older Trek with 21st century eyes means sometimes phasing uncomfortably when confronting where we were as a society. I truly appreciate you both in paving the mycelial network to Planet Woke. <laughs> I know for myself I've learned to be more accepting And endeavor to be a better person. This is true for GG, GD, and the entire MaxFun network.
2: Wow. Hey, thanks, Derek. Yeah. From a millennial Trekkie and another Gen X Trekkie. God bless you, Derek.
0: Hey, I think uh, we're just all trying to do a better job. That's all it is.
2: Yeah. Uh, If you would like to send a Priority One message... Uh, You can do
0: so by heading to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. That's right, and uh, make sure you get them in because uh, the season finale's coming up and then we've got a bunch of off-season programming coming. Those eps are always a thrill and they help support the production of the show. You're going to love it.
2: I spent a lot of last week sick in bed And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat, but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was factor meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab and go bites and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com Trek 50 and use code Trek 50 to get 50% off. That's code Trek 50 at factormeals.com Trek 50 to get 50% off. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro kit plus handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on?
1: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive.
2: (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year.
1: And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again?
2: Absolutely.
1: topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast secretly incredibly fascinating find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app and at maximumfun.org
0: hey ben what's that adam did you discover yourself and edward larkin
2: I did. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Michael Burnham this episode for uh, sending Saru and Culber away so that she could manage the terrifying monster that they know nothing about in person without any way to defend herself or, you know, any knowledge of what the monster was. Uh, (laughs) Seemed like a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I admire her bravery, but yikes yeah she's lucky that uh falling upward didn't kill her
0: yeah no kidding
2: how about you did you have an edward larkin
0: uh i'm gonna give mine to doug jones finally uh acting with his own face acting with his own hands you can't tell me (laughs) that uh there was anyone happier on that set than he uh to just to just uh run a comb through his hair and then be set ready yeah
2: do you think that uh in that scene where michael burnham tells tilly about the metal burr they considered having her say like i've seen saru finger that thing before and have tilly go like he's touched it well i'm not gonna touch it then
0: <laughs> tilly looks down at the uh at the seat cover and sees like saru's <laughs> legs but also just a giant hog <laughs> <laughs> saru's packing yeah uh Speaking of hoofs,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Good Larkin, my friend. Did you happen to watch the promo for next week's episode?
0: I did. I, I dialed up the after track, uh, saw a little bit of a different take on the energy there from our friend Double W. Did you watch a
2: scene or did you watch the 30 second promo?
0: Oh, i I did what I always do as I as I booted up after Trek I fast forwarded to the last two minutes and then I watched the uh, the clip that they show there is that not the oh. same as what you saw uh I went to star trek.com and watched a
2: 30 second like next time on that we used to get at the end of episodes
0: well let's compare notes what do yeah. you think are the chances that we saw the same thing
2: I don't think I don't think we did because you it sounds like you saw a, a clip and what I saw was a very like action movie edited uh, sequence of scenes. Lots of like dual wielding pistols and OO Ooh. like hitting guys with rifles and shit. And Michael Burnham and book declaring that they have to retake disco.
0: I mean, this is this is a great idea. Taking their shit back is uh, is something that I was writing for. A long time ago in this yeah. in this future universe. So that sounds like a ton of fun. It does. I saw basically 30 seconds of the disco heading back towards Starfleet HQ being chased by Osiris' ship. Chased in quotes, right? <laughs> Acting like they're being chased with their comms down. And uh, an admiral stepdad... Uh, wondering what to do, whether or not to let them into the shield.
2: And you said you saw, you felt like uh, Will Wheaton was seeming a little bit not himself.
0: Yeah, he went a little lower with the register. Uh, I'll give you a line read. Earlier, he's like, Hey, nerds! And this time, he was like, Hey, nerds! Like, oh, giving it that, that kind of spin on it. I think he's been listening.
2: Wow. Amazing to think that we would have that amount of influence on what Will Whedon would do.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm looking down at my silicone bracelet. W W W W D. I mean it, honestly it just looks like a squiggly line that goes all the way around my wrist before it yeah. hits the, the D part. Like the Qualcomm
2: logo. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. We gotta, we gotta put that up in the in the merch store.
0: Yeah, do
2: you think we can find somebody to manufacture a silicone bracelet for us? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm
0: sure we could. Let's do it.
2: I love it. <laughs> well, uh, we should leave it with our buddy Robs, Robs, Robs from here. Uh, but uh, tune in back next week for our take on the penultimate episode of season three of Discovery.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to us. Uh, On the day we come out, hope you have a nice week between. Enjoy it. (laughs) Ta-ta.
1: The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun Podcast. Hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. This podcast is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusea. Go check out his YouTube page. He makes delicious dishes and helps you make delicious dishes. If you're looking for more Trek, discover our back catalog. We've got a lot of fun episodes. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us be placed in the podcatchers of those who need to discover us. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly. We appreciate you, Bill. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery.